Hey everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. I believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take one book a semester, one chapter a week, and really dig in to understand the context and culture that the book was written in so that we can better understand how to apply what God was saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with his word. This season, we are going through the book of Daniel, and today's episode is Daniel chapter 8, Another Dream. Well, I don't know about you, but I am absolutely loving this prophetic portions of the text. Um, whenever I uh, first uh, started preparing for Daniel, I'm just going to be honest with you. I read through the whole whole book, and as I got to chapter 7 and 8 and so on, my eyes kind of glazed over, and I thought, what in the world? How are we ever going to work through this? And like I've always told myself, that this Bible reading... It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. We have the rest of our lives to do this. So when we just take a little bit at a time and we really soak it in and we take time to write what the text is saying on a notepad and then we we look in commentaries and we study the history of what was happening in that day, then all of a sudden God through the Holy Spirit just starts allowing it to unfold and making sense. So this really has been exciting and I loved this chapter and it just gets better and better. So Daniel chapter 8, this portion, this chapter is going back to um, being written in Hebrew because the rest of this book will focus on God's people during the times of the Gentiles before the focus was on the Gentiles, but now it's on God's people. This chapter starts off in the third year of Belshi's reign, And Daniel receives another vision, and he's about 70 years old. In this vision, he saw himself in the fortress of the city of Shushan. This was in the providence of Elam. And in this vision, he was beside the ULAI canal. Okay, so just to to take a minute, because this is a new place, a new territory that we haven't really talked about in this book. Shushan was 200 miles east of Babylon. And while Babylon is in modern-day Iraq, Shushan was modern-day Iran. Uh, This is reason 7,777, why the Bible can be tricky for us modern readers. All the names of the places have changed several times in history. So we have to figure out what territory we're talking about. And just a side note for you guys, Iran is exploding like wildfire with spreading the gospel. It's really awesome. There's an underground church there. And what is happening there in the spiritual cannot be stopped. But we're getting back to our study. So Shushan becomes the capital of the Persian Empire. It will be home to Esther in 80 years from now. 107 years after that, it will be home to Nehemiah when he leaves there to go rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. And in this vision, there was a ram standing behind the canal and it had two horns. Now, Several things about this. Zoroastrianism is a religion that is growing popular at this time. In its holy book, a god, a false god, appeared like a ram to Zoroaster, the founder of this religion. And in these days, um, 
they started worshiping that God, just like, oh, let's invite him into our pantheon pantheon of gods. So since then, Persian rulers would wear a ram on their head and stand in front of the army um, before a battle. I can't even imagine how crazy this looked. And somebody had, in my small group, had brought up the the movie 300, I think. I think, I believe that this is depicted in that. The ram would be on heads of coins. There would be headdresses in the culture. So basically, this was not a big mystery that when he saw the ram, that this was known as the Persian Empire. It would be kind of like if there was a vision of someone right now and they saw a vision of a banner and there would be 50 stars and there would be blue and white stripes. You would know exactly what country they were envisioning. So both horns were long, but one was longer than the other, and we are starting to get familiar with this. This is the third time that we are talking about the Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire, and we can already know right off the bat because of our previous study that one horn longer than the other would mean that one side, the Persian Empire, was larger and stronger than the Medo Empire. They, this ram was charging to the west, the north, and the south. And this reminds us of the previous dream with the bear having the three ribs. And remember, this was three nations that Persia quickly knocked out. No animal could stand against him. So another country could stand up against the Medo-Persian Empire. And there were no one to rescue from his power. And whatever he wanted, he got. He became great. But then comes a male goat. It comes from the west and across the surface of the entire earth without touching the ground. It had a horn between his eyes, and that horn we later, well, we know, but but the people studying this would later come to realize that this represented the Greek empire, and that horn was Alexander the Great. He came towards the two-horned ram, so he came towards Medo-Persia, and It says that he had seen it standing behind a canal and rushed him with savage fury. He was infuriated and struck the ram, shattering the two horns, so completely obliterating this this, um, empire. The ram wasn't strong enough to stand against him. The goat threw him on the ground and trampled him. The male goat became very great, so Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire became great, and... Eventually, this horn was going to be shattered, and in its place, four other horns was going to take its place. So, Alexander the Great fell by none other than the hand of God. Four horns rose up, and those were his four generals. We've talked about them for three. This is our third session now. Ptolemy was in the Egypt area. Seleucus was in the Babylon area. Philip was over Persia, and Antigonus was over Asia. And it said that they would rise to power, but they won't have the power of the first horn. So they never gained the power that Alexander Great had. Here we see God in control and setting up everything to prepare the way for the gospel. We talked about this a while back, but during this time, the Greek language became the common language of the people in all of these nations. And so when this is happening, it is making it easier for the gospel to spread across the known world in the fullness of time. So from here, we see a little horn emerge that grows extensively towards the south and east and towards the beautiful land. Now, the beautiful land we know from study is 
Israel. It is called the beautiful land, I think, in Ezekiel, several other places in scripture. And this horn is different. I want to say this is a different little horn than the previous chapter in chapter 7. This one rises out of the third empire, out of the Greek empire. This, The previous one was the Antichrist in the last days. And this one seems to be a prototype of the Antichrist or forerunner. He's, his kingdom is foreshadowing the kingdom to come in the last days. But to fully understand what we're about to read in the text, I need to tell you a little backstory. I really hope that some of you, when I read this, are going to say, I know this is what I came across in my study. And if you did, pat yourself on the back and know you are absolutely ready to invite people into your home and to do Bible study together. Because this was one of the most difficult chapters that I really have studied with a group of people. And I have to say that my one of my study partners, Christian Tarver, rocked this chapter out. I was so proud of her. She had never done this before. She showed up to group with her notes and she rocked it. And I have faith that many of you did too. So out of this empire, the Greek empire and the four generals, out of the Seleucids empire, a man is going to rise to power. He's the eighth king in that empire. And he is properly known as Antiochus IV, but he calls himself Antiochus Epiphanes, which means the illustrious one or God manifest. He believed he was God. Antiochus brought his army against Egypt. Remember, that's Ptolemy's kingdom in 168 BC. But a Roman ambassador stood in their way, because Rome evidently was rising to power, stood in the way and gave him a message from the Roman Senate ordering him to stop the attack. Antiochus responded that he would think about it and discuss it with his council. At this point, the Roman general drew a circle in the sand around Antiochus and told him that if he did not give the Roman Senate an answer before crossing over that line, they would declare war. Well, Antiochus decided to withdraw, and this made him super angry. So here is the problem. We have the Seleucids Empire and Ptolemy's empire, and right smack in the middle, if you look at the images on Google Maps, right in the middle of these two world empires is Israel, and they both laid claim to it. So we know that Antiochus is in Egypt trying to take over. The Roman Senate made him leave. He's mad. So on his way back home, he is going to wreak havoc in Israel. What happens is that he sent one of his generals into Jerusalem on the Sabbath with 20,000 troops. He erected an idol of Zeus or Jupiter, depending on the translation, and desecrated the altar by offering swine on it. If you are not familiar with the Jewish customary eating habits, it is considered an unclean animal. So then... A few people tried to rise up against him, and this made him more angry. So then he made a decree outlawing Jewish rites of worship, and he ordered the Jews to worship Zeus rather than Yahweh. He wasn't just trying to Hellenize these Jewish people, which is the adoption of the Greek culture by other people groups. He was trying to totally eliminate all traces of Jewish culture. When the Jews expressed outrage again, he responded by slaughtering a great number of Jews, and selling the rest into slavery, he issued even more decrees, performing the, uh, or I'm sorry, yes, performing, making the performing of the rite of circumcision punishable by death, 
and Jews everywhere were ordered to sacrifice to their pagan gods and eat the pig flesh. So this was a really dark day for the Jews. There were many stories brought up in my small group of things recorded in history that were just atrocities. I'm not going to go into them today, but you can look for them. It was just a sad day. It was horrible. But four years into this, Judas Maccabeus led Jews into a series of victories over the Seleucids. And after vanquishing Antiochus and the Seleucids, the Jews were able to cleanse and restore the temple in 165. And then this whole entire thing was celebrated with the festival of Hanukkah. That is such a neat festival to look at. And now knowing the background, it really makes me want to look at it further every year around Christmas time, because there's so much tradition, so much of victory for God's people. But now that we know this little backstory, we're going to look at the text. In verse 10, it says, it grew and reached, talking about the little horn, it grew and reached the host of heavens and threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled them. Well, this is some people say is the Jews. They were listed as um, in scripture as many stars as there were in the heaven. That was how many um, p- um, children that God was going to give Abraham. Starry hosts are also known as angels. And so some people say that this is like a victory in the spiritual world. And I thought this was interesting. Tom Bradford had a teaching and he calls this the reality of duality, where in the text it could have a double meaning. Both could be true. This could be something that is talking about in the natural and in the supernatural. Let me show you elsewhere in scripture where this is happening. In Isaiah 14, the 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 author starts talking about the king of Babylon, but then all of a sudden the text takes a turn talking about the shining morning star who fell from heaven to destroy the nations and sit higher than the throne of God. We know this is Satan. So it starts off talking about a king, a physical man, and then it turns and talks about the entity that's empowering that king. We see this again in Ezekiel 28. This chapter is about the king of Tyre during Daniel's lifetime. The text tells us that he was a man, but then the chapter ends up clearly talking about a spirit being that was in the garden. While we fully don't understand it, it just seems like it appears that the text can have double meaning talking about the king that is here on earth and the entity that is giving him power behind it. And um, I told you last week that I believed that that dream from last week, chapter seven, was talking about the natural and the supernatural. I didn't really have a term for it then, but I believe that this is what Tom Bradford was talking about, the reality of duality. Um, If you want to know more about this spirit world and this war that we're fighting, I really invite you but you have to be dedicated to get the book, The Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser. He is a a modern day scholar. He is brilliant. He is someone that is safe and highly revered. And he ends up writing a huge scholarly work on this, but it is absolutely fascinating. And there's so much about it that in our day and culture, it's been watered down and we don't fully understand it with our Western eyes. So I encourage you to to get that and do a little reading. So in verse 11, it says, it sets itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. And it took away the daily sacrifices from the Lord and his sanctuary was thrown down. Well, this is starting to look familiar. Antiochus 
took away the daily sacrifices from the Jews and he desecrated the temple. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifices were giving over to it. It prospered in everything it did and truth was known and truth was thrown to the ground. So then in verse 13, it says, Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning, concerning the daily sacrifices, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. And then he said to me, It will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. Now, there has been different debate on what this 2,300 evenings and mornings mean. Some of the commentators believe that this is uh, six years and so many months, and others believe that instead of counting it if a real 2,300 days, it's counting the morning and evening sacrifices one, and so they split that number in half, and so they're saying it's really three years. We don't know exactly what the angels that were speaking in the vision was talking about. But what we do know is that Judas Maccabeus goes in and reclaims the temple and rededicates it to the Lord. So we see that this has been fulfilled. But this term is interesting, the rebellion that causes desolation. This is, in what I talked about in the last chapter, something that is and is to come. So it did happen. After Daniel's day, and we see it in our past. But in Matthew 24, 15, Jesus warns that this is going to happen again. He says, when you see it in those days, those in Judea must flee to the mountains. So evidently, Antiochus was just partial fulfillment of this event. And I believe that the event will be completely fulfilled with the little horn in Daniel 7, known as the Antichrist. What I'm saying is I believe that this is going to happen again but in a much larger scale in the very last days. So then the interpretation came. Daniel heard someone tell Gabriel to explain the vision to him. Well, Gabriel is one of two angels named in scripture. We, see, we will see his name again in Daniel 9. And he's also the same angel who announces John the Baptist's birth and Jesus's birth to Mary. Daniel was terrified and he fell face down. Mary and John the Baptist's dad were both terrified too. This is something fascinating to me. I can't imagine how powerful and majestic and beautiful Gabriel is, and I can't imagine what I would do if he entered my room to give me a message, but we know that seeing him was terrifying. I don't think in a scary sense, but I think in just of an awe since something so beautiful, so big, so powerful. it's We don't know really a lot more about him. The other angel that is talked about in scripture is Michael. We know that he's an archangel, but it is recorded in extra biblical texts that were used in Jesus's day. Jesus would have been familiar with them. That Gabriel was also an archangel. Another word for this is the chief angels. It's the highest ranking angels we know. It's the warrior. So he possibly could have been an archangel as well. He tells Daniel that this vision refers to the end. So I'm going to conclude this with just reading verses 23 through 27. It says, Near the end of their kingdoms, when the rebels have reached the full measure of their sin, an insolent king, skilled in intrigue, will come to the throne. His power will be great, but it will not be his own. He will cause terrible destruction 
and succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the powerful along with the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper through his cunning and through his cunning and by his influence. And in his own mind, he will make himself great. He will destroy many in a time of peace and he will even stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be shattered and not by human hands. So once again, in the final days, we will see an enemy or a king rise to power that is powered by Satan himself. But this kingdom will not last long and it will be taken down by God. The vision in verse 26 of the evening and the mornings that has been told is true. Now you must seal up the vision because it refers to many days in the future. Verse 27, I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was greatly disturbed by the vision and could not understand it. Well, as I was preparing for this, I wrote my takeaways like I always do. And I just kind of sat there and I didn't really even know what my takeaways are. And usually they're pretty quick. So the past couple of days, I've just been thinking about this and praying on it. And just today, my takeaways have been, one, again, it's reiterated in every chapter. God allows kingdoms to rise and fall. He's always in complete control over it. None of this surprises him. And he's always working behind the scenes to usher in his kingdom. Another thing is we don't know when the last days could be, but in my spirit, I just feel that it is so near. And God gives us enough important clues to recognize when that day comes. It is vital that we are in scripture because again, this Antichrist is going to be so powerful with his words. And one of the things I was fascinated with is like Antiochus, we talked about Hitler in my my personal Bible study today. And I have a, an ex-history teacher and another woman that is just well studied in, 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 in history. And we were just talking about how can someone like Hitler rise to power and how can he get a whole people group to stand behind him and do the atrocities that he did? And our my, the history teacher in my group just quickly gave this, us a lesson of what Germany was like and how it was utterly and completely bit, beaten down. The economy was horrible and there was just no, no one to bring the country together until Hitler rose to power. His words were good. He was bringing about a patriotism. The economy was improving. So people were putting all of their love and their nationalism and their trust in him. And so things were getting better. They would do anything that he said. And that's a scary thing to see unfold. And I believe that's going to happen again. But we have to have eyes to see and a discernment in us to recognize when this happens. And God is going to give that to us. Another thing that I'm left with is that Daniel seeing this lay sick for days. And so sometimes I notice when we talk about the end times, it makes people very uncomfortable. It makes them fearful. In fact, yesterday I was just having a talk with my oldest daughter, asking her, do you know what the Bible says about the last days? And we we're having a great conversation, but I literally could see anxiety welling up in her. And we ca I called it out and we confronted it in the name of Jesus because that is a spirit of fear and it's not from God. And I kind of grew aggravated with her, to be honest with you. But just as we were going through this, just now, in, in my recording, 
I felt convicted because as Daniel saw this, he was in bed sick for days. This is not something light. But what I noticed and what we can learn from is he processed it. He prayed. He probably spoke truth to himself, knowing that the Lord is in control. He is the King of Kings. His word says that he tucks us up under the shadow of his wings and his plans do not fail. And it says he got up and then he continued about the King's business. He continued serving God and where God had him. So my message to you, my message to myself is when that fear rises up, I do ask you to command it to leave in the name of Jesus and speak truth over you. We know that God allows kingdoms to rise and fall. And we know he's in complete control. He is a good father. He will hide us under the shadow of his wings. But even if persecution comes, we can and we will fight this battle through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to win souls now so that they can enter into the restoration of all things with us. I have no doubt that whatever lies ahead, the Holy Spirit will prepare us for that. I put my complete hope, faith, and trust in that time. But again, we do we do stand firm in knowing that Jesus will be coming back. I'm constantly looking up and thinking, is today the day? It's going to be such an amazing time. It's going to be an adventure.